0: Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. Any of you all look at this uh, scripture before we came? You knew what we were talking about tonight? A few of you? I really think if others had really noticed it, most, that tells you how many look at the bulletin in the Sunday morning probably. If they had really noticed this, they had probably would have shown up too. i tell you what's incredible, that tonight I'm actually... I'm going to read the scripture, and then Dwight Anderson is going to come give you his interpretation of the scripture. (laughs) Would that work, Dwight? You're ready. You are. Oh, it would be so much counseling with Kay this week, I think. Um, Colossians chapter 3, Paul has been reminding us that Christ is all and is in all, that he is everything. And that you cannot parcel out your life. You cannot just compartmentalize it and say, Jesus, you're Lord over this section, but I'm going to hang on to this this other section. You, you can't just say, Jesus, I'm going to have my spiritual life and through my devotions and worship, I'm going to focus on you. And then go out and be about your own business at work or wherever else, just saying, hey, I'm just going to do what I want. That's not the way that Jesus intended for us to experience his life, the eternal life. When he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly, he came to give us life that would be expressed in every area of work and family, of relationships. We are to experience Jesus in every area of our lives. He's not just a part. He is our life, right? And that's what Paul has been saying. And last week, We looked at verse 17 where it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So in other words, he said, just very frankly, he said, whatever you're going to do, you do it in the name of Jesus. So it goes back in a sense to the question I said this morning or I gave you this morning of what would Jesus do? And you ask yourself of that in every instance, what would Jesus do in this situation and how would he be praised and how would he be glorified? It's a work situation where maybe you're having issues with a coworker. You ask yourself, what can I do to demonstrate Jesus through this relationship and how could He be glorified? If you're um, in the church life, you're going to come and you're going to worship, you're going to praise Him, you're going to say, okay, when I sing this, how does it bring glory to Jesus in what I'm saying and what I'm doing? In my family life, as I relate to my children and to my wife, How does that bring glory to Christ? You see, Paul says every area of our lives. And here, beginning in verse 18, he enumerates some of those areas that I've mentioned. Whatever you do, so it's like this broad principle, and now he begins to hit home. As I said, I think last week, here Paul begins to really meddle in your life, all right? I mean, it's kind of nice when the preacher speaks in generalities, right? Right? Because you can kind of just, oh, yes, that's generally true. That's awesome. We're to love one another. We're to do that. And we are, the generalities have to be there. But, oh, when the preacher starts meddling, when he actually starts giving specifics, and here Paul is, and he speaks about Christ and whatever you do in word or deed, and you're doing it in the name of Jesus, he says, now, this is how it is applied to the marriage relationship, Christ in your marriage And I think most of us agree here tonight, at least with that general principle that Christ should be in the marriage. That there are three components when you look at the marriage relationship. You have each spouse and then you have Jesus. That's the model. And here Paul says specifically though to the wives and the husbands. He says in verse 18, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands submit. Love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. So how does the life of Jesus, the ministry and attitude of Jesus, inform our marriage relationships? He says, for you husbands, you you are in a sense the spiritual leader. That's what he says. He says that you're not to be bitter toward your wives. You're to love your wives. And wives are to submit to Their own husbands. Now, there are so many understandings of this out there today, right? I mean, (laughs) it would really, it would probably be um, interesting and maybe even amusing to try to get everybody's perspective in here on this tonight. We'd be here for quite a while uh, of how these relationships kind of work themselves out. But from what I see in Paul's words and what he says to us, is that there are defined, distinctive roles within the marriage. I believe that still. Now, I know that's not as popular today, but I'm going to be honest with you. I think one of the things that we've done, even in our churches, is we have contributed to gender confusion. Because of some of our positions where we're trying to be culturally relevant, we have contributed to a, culture, to a gender confusion that people are struggling with all around us. And are they ever? God made them male and female. I believe that in the scripture. And I believe that God intended, God intended for marriage to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime. For a lifetime. That's God's definition of marriage. That is what God intended. Now, I know, I'm with you folks, we live in a fallen and broken world. I know that marriages seem to, have a lot of struggles and a lot of challenges, and there are a lot of things that uh, we did not intend. But I'm just going to say that the intention of God, what He ultimately set up, is that a man would leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and the two would become one flesh. I've remembered that verse. I've learned that verse. Leslie has reminded me of that verse, especially about the leaving the father and mother. I've the two will become one and within the marriage relationship there there are these distinctive uh, natures there are the distinctive roles verse 18 he says clearly wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the lord now the word submit is a word that will be used in other passages to talk about submission to governmental authorities. It would be used to talk about children submitting to their parents. So, there is this idea that there is some type of God-given responsibility that the husband has to lead, to lead spiritually. Now, Colossians is like a companion of the book of Ephesians. You know that. They were written roughly about the same time. Some people believe that the uh, when Paul was writing, that he even modeled one upon the other, I would just say to you that obviously these things are on Paul's mind as he's writing, and he writes uh, clearly in both passages uh, about the relationship that we are to have together. He says in Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-two, for example, "Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body." So, in other words, there again in Ephesians, Paul says that the husband is the head. That there is some type of leadership capacity that he has in the family. Now, I know what some of you are looking at me and saying, that's Paul. (laughs) And even today, you hear in theological circles and other areas about how, you know, that's what Paul said. And you have to really look at the cultural elements of Paul. And yes... I will say that you do have to interpret the scripture based upon its context. I believe that. But I also believe this. Paul's words are as divinely inspired as Jesus' words. Now, I know that may, like, catch some of you off guard. But I'm going to tell you that when I look at this Bible, all of it is God's word. And as I shared with you a few weeks ago, all of this could be really dotted in red as far as I'm concerned. Because all of this is God-breathed. If I start picking and choosing that which I think is inspired and that which is not inspired, I have made myself a mess. And you and I are undercutting the credibility of scripture itself and that will lead us down a dangerous road. Paul was not just speaking culturally. Paul was speaking creationally. When I go back and I'll look at Genesis. And and Paul will even frame his arguments based upon creation. Even as he'll speak to the Corinthians in this matter. He'll speak about how that God created this type of distinctive role even in Adam and Eve. Now, we're going to look in a moment about how it was distorted because of the fall. But even in the beginning, there was something about the husband who would be leading. I would I would even point back to Ephesians that I read a moment ago where it says that the husband is the head of the wife. Also, Christ is the head of the church. So he uses an analogy. That's not something cultural. Jesus is always the head of the church and he always has been, right? Think about ever flipping that. The church becomes the head of Christ. No, that does not happen. We may think we're the boss sometimes, but Jesus is always Lord, and he is the head, just as the husband should always be the spiritual leader. Now, I think we have to, especially in our, creation, uh, in our culture today, we have to qualify the spiritual leadership and the submission That is mentioned here. We have to qualify it so that people can understand what we're speaking of. And some years ago, I read um, a book uh, called uh, "What Was the Name of That?" Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. It was edited by Wayne Grudem and John Piper. If you ever get a chance to go back, there's several just different articles that you can read. And that really helped me as I was trying to think through this. And basically what they do is they take the scripture and they try to demonstrate, they try to show what it, is, what it is referring to. But even then, which is back in the 90s when they wrote this book, they laid out what submission was not. And I feel like we have to do that today. Because unfortunately, unfortunately there are men today who have abused their spiritual leadership capacity we have seen it all throughout our culture right i'm just going to say that it's one of the reasons we see the me too movement is because men have forfeited the the rightful spiritual leadership and they have abused it and distorted it for something that was wrong and that grew out of sin itself wait i got a backup i'm about to get i'm about to get preaching here in a moment so okay let me, let me back up, and I'm going to give you what Piper and Grudem said in just a moment. But let me remind you that this abusive nature and leadership that we see with husbands and men, I want to show you that it grows out of the fall of man itself. Okay? Leadership was creational. But what happened afterwards is Satan distorted that leadership and it became an abusive type of relationship. This is what God said to the woman. He's and this is all after the fall. Remember after sin entered into the world. He said, "I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, in your conception in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband." and he shall rule over you. Now, that doesn't mean that God was saying he's, going to be a, he's a ordained to be abusive. What he's saying is because of what sin has done, you're going to see men who will not fulfill their God-given right, and instead they will be abusive. They will rule. And it is a strong word if you look in the Hebrew. It is a, it is a word which uh, is the idea of domineering over individuals. And you see, this is what sin has done. This, listen, this is what Satan has always done. I believe Satan has never come up with an original idea in his life. I believe that. I don't think he has. I think what he does is he looks at God's plan and God's design and then he takes God's thoughts and he tries to distort them and turn them into things that are immoral and ungodly. That's what I see all the time in scripture. He takes things that are good and then he just twists them and he warps them into his own plan and image. So what he's done is he has taken this idea that men are, are to lead their families, husbands are to lead their wives, and he has used it and distorted it in such a way that men today have committed all types of atrocities against women. And you and I, no matter what, where we stand on this issue, you and I should make sure that we are standing with those who have been abused And those who have gone through great difficulty because of men who have given in to that abusive type of behavior. You and I should do what we can to minister. There are too many women who come into my office. Who have experienced abusive language, abusive actions abusive attitudes from their husbands and friends if I see just a few it's amazing I I can't even begin to comprehend how many actually have seen this in their lives that is not God's intention that is not what God set before us And I'm reading a lot of stuff these days that say, well, but our patriarchy, the idea that husbands are the leaders, we're the ones who are giving that to men so that they can, no, 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 no. It is Satan who is destroying, who is distorting these things and leading men to such abusive behavior. So with that being said, let me tell you what Grudem and, how Grudem and Piper qualified this to remind you what submission is not. Submission does not mean putting the husband in place of Christ. Never. There are a lot of places God puts authority. I believe in the authority of a government, and I believe we should obey the government. I believe in the authority um, of church leadership, and I think we ought to follow the church leadership. But let me say this to you there should never be blind allegiance or devotion. If our spouse or our government or our church, our church leaders ever tell us to do something that is immoral or ungodly, guess what? We have an obligation to say no. No. Because yes, there are authorities, but they do not trump Christ. Never. And a husband never takes the place of Jesus Christ. So, submission does not mean putting a husband in the place of Christ. Submission does not mean giving up independent thought. Submission does not mean a wife should give up efforts to influence or guide her husband. Submission is not based on lesser intelligence or competence. As a matter of fact, later on, Peter will talk about how a saved wife should do what she can to remain with an unsaved husband in order to win him to the Lord. I would say to you that in that situation, the wife has much more wisdom and spiritual insight than the husband. So it's not based on lesser intelligence in any way. As a matter of fact, women are usually more intelligent. Come on, we got to have a little light heartedness here tonight, right? Although there's a lot of truth in that. Submission does not mean being fearful or timid. And submission is not inconsistent with equality in Christ. Some of you say, well, we're equal. We are absolutely equal. When we stand at the foot of the cross, it is equal. We are co-heirs with Jesus. There is neither male or female when it comes to salvation. So we're all equal, but yet we have distinctive roles. I think the Trinity gives us a great example of how... There is equality, but distinctive roles. For example, the father and the son are equal. Would you say that equal in power and strength? God, the father and Jesus Christ are of equal power and strength. Paul's already told us about Jesus and how the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. And yet did Jesus not voluntarily submit himself to the father? Absolutely. Was it an issue of equality? No, no. It was an issue of role. The son was going to come on our behalf and he was going to die for us. He did not have to, but he willingly volunteered. Submission is not inconsistent with equality in Christ. What does it mean? It means, as they say, an inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of the husband. Submission acknowledges an authority that's not totally mutual. And it is submission that is called for by scripture Itself it says, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. But look at verse 19. See, this is, I, I guess you ought to just star this. Because if husbands could get this part of spiritual leadership, you wouldn't see an issue so much with women who um, protest submission. Look at what it says. Husbands, love your wives. The word love is the word for agape. You love her with commitment. You love her with self-sacrifice. You love her with everything you have. And do not be bitter toward them. Don't cause bitterness. Don't be bitter toward who they are. Hey, I got to stop a minute. I need to take this call probably because it says Temple Baptist Church. Am I not at Temple Baptist Church? Is this the revival I'm doing at First Bernice? This is crazy. It just rang. It said Temple Baptist Church. You know what? It's probably a telemarketer. Put that thing down. Put that thing down. Put that thing down. Where was I? Husbands, love your wives. I think this is the key. I'm doing two marriages or two weddings in the next two weeks. This will be about, I think I've got four or five under my belt for this summer. uh, And I don't do near as many as Jason and Casey usually do. There are a lot of folks who are getting married and I meet with them and i talk to them about these passages. And i talk to them, especially the husband, about his responsibility of loving his wife. It was funny, the other day we looked at some... uh, vows. And the wife said, now, is this one of those things I got to say, submit? (laughs) I said, well, I'm pretty flexible. If you want to find a synonym somewhere or something like that. But, um, but I always emphasize how the husband ought to be loving the wife Uh, again, back in Ephesians, because I think this is the companion passage to Colossians. He says, therefore Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church. And then he goes on, he says in verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. What does he say? He gives two examples, two examples. That we ought to love our wives. Husbands, listen. We ought to love our wives as we love our own bodies, he says. What is the idea there? The idea is you would not harm your own body. You would not do anything to damage or destroy your body. And if you would not do anything against yourself... You and I ought not to do anything against our wives that would harm them. And then the greater analogy, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. There is no greater example. There is no greater example. Jesus came to this world. He walked this planet that he created He was mocked by people he created. He was beaten. He was hung from a tree. And he did it all willingly. Why? Because he loved us so much. Jesus Christ gave himself for us. Paul would write to the Philippians, which again is another book written around this time. And he'll speak in chapter 2 about the humility of Jesus and how he died a death. And he'll say, even the death of the cross. Because he loved us so much. He gave up his own prerogatives of heaven itself to come and to die for us. Folks, when husbands love their wives like that, when husbands say I will do what is best for you, I'm willing to give myself up for you. I'm really I'm ready to crucify my own passions and my own interests if it somehow brings harm to you. I'm going to, I am going to allow myself to decrease because I want to make sure that Christ is increasing in our relationship toward you. If husbands love their wives like that, I promise you, wives would have no problem submitting to that type of leadership. It's usually because the husbands have failed in our own Efforts of leadership that issues occur within the marriage. Considerate leadership, let me give you this again what Grudem and what Piper say. Considerate leadership does not mean harsh or domineering use of authority. You think Jesus used domineering authority? No. Considerate leadership. Does not imply equal sharing of leadership. There's, there are roles. It does not, again, imply lesser importance for a wife. And it's not optional for husbands. We need, once again, strong families. It's not going to be instituted. Family life is not going to be strengthened simply by governmental legislation, it's going to be strengthened. When we as husbands and wives allow Christ to be all and in all that we are in whatever we do we commit to ourselves we commit to our spouse and we commit to Jesus Christ You know there are obvious consequences of not f- fulfilling God's purpose and plan in our lives relationships are strained Family can be broken. You know, Peter even says that our prayers are hindered. Think of that just a moment. Our prayers are hindered when we are not in right relationship in the marriage. You and I, those of us who are married, are called to demonstrate it and live the example each day. Those of us, everybody in this room, should stand for biblical marriage And it's intention and we should help tell the next generation because get this, we have those coming after us. We need to tell our sons that yes, God has called husbands to be spiritual leaders, but you are not to be domineering and abusive toward any woman. We are to tell our, our, our daughters that they are precious before the Lord Jesus Christ that God died for them and that Jesus Christ loves them and he wants to use them in ministry and in work. And there is a, if God calls them, I do believe in the gift of singleness still. But if God calls them into marriage, they need to find a husband who demonstrates the love and the work of Christ. We need to be teaching this and reminding those who come after us because Satan loves I'm telling you, he loves to destroy marriages. He loves to destroy families. I was talking to someone in my office this morning. She said, Dr. Reggie, I'm concerned about my grandchildren. I'm concerned about the family life and the things that are going on right now. She said, it's just amazing that God would let them go through this. I said, certainly I believe in God's sovereignty and God's allowance, but also know this. I believe it is Satan and his forces that are coming after these families. I believe he comes after the weakest among us. I believe he tries to destroy people's lives and families' lives. I believe that, as I said, that he warps the mind of some men. And you see the abuse that we have today. But I know this, through the power of the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, families can be changed and restored and marriages can come together. And we, as we follow Christ, we can exemplify even in our marriage relationship what God would intend so that we can see healthy families built. God gives us the strength and we must seek him and we must trumpet that which is right we must trumpet that which is good so that we can see a culture again that will embrace biblical, that will embrace godly relationships around us. It begins with us, though. It begins with this man. It begins with you. Let us be the people who are changed and live for him even in our marriages. Let's pray. Father... We come to you, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for allowing us to deal with this very difficult issue. Lord, I thank you for helping us, giving us understanding of where we lack understanding. Father, we uh, pray tonight that you would just mend marriages, even some now in our congregation that are struggling. I pray that you would mend families. There's some kids seeing things right now they ought not be seeing. There are some right now that see a mom and daddy that are totally at odds. God, I believe you bring reconciliation and you bring healing. And God, I pray for this. God, help us to be who you've called us to be and allow us to be the examples. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.